Hello, and welcome to another episode of Of Sound Health. Today I am honored to be talking with Dr. Jenna Yeager. She's an associate professor at Towson University. She is an expert and researcher in the areas of occupational therapy mental health, psychosocial occupational therapy, and the application of mind-body interventions to improve and enhance health and well-being. Today we will be discussing the positive effects that relaxation techniques, guided imagery, and soothing music can have on expectant mothers. Some of these positive effects included enhanced well-being, both mental and physical, and improved sleep quality. Hello and welcome, Dr. Yeager. I am so happy to have you here today. Maybe before diving right in into your research, we could get to know a little bit more about you and your background. Can you share your earliest memories of how mind-body approaches had a positive effect on you and your well-being? Well, sure. And let me just say hello, Sabrina. And it's a pleasure and an honor to be asked to join your podcast and to talk about something that I actually really, truly am very passionate about. And I'm really excited that you're addressing it because I think that there's a great potential for occupational therapists to integrate mind-body strategies into our practice. So I'm super excited about it. Um, And to answer your question, I actually didn't really become aware of mind-body practices myself until I was in my 20s. And I started my first job in OT, which was on a psychiatric unit. And one of the first groups that they handed to me and said, you are going to teach a relaxation training group. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't learn a darn thing about that in school. So, <laughs> right? So I set off on a little quest and I got some books and did a lot of reading and accessed these scripts that you can use when you're teaching relaxation training. And it kind of sparked my interest in providing that to my patients. But then I got really, I think my imagination was captured by the potential for meditation and yoga and mind body techniques. So I just, kind of set out on a personal improvement quest and took a whole lot of different kinds of workshops on many different types of mind-body techniques all throughout my 20s, just exploring everything until I kind of settled down into what things I really wanted to integrate into my practice. So that's kind of what got me started. Wow. So mind-body techniques did not influence your decision to go into OT. It actually was the opposite, the other other way. That's OT exactly. gave you that opportunity. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you continued on learning about it, when did you suddenly say, this is what I really want my OT practice to fo- be the focus? So what happened where I was working on the psychiatric unit where I did get my first job, as I mentioned, really was very, very supportive of mind-body techniques. Um, For one thing, we had a psychiatrist on the staff who was a Tibetan Buddhist and sort of a very well-renowned in the field Tibetan Buddhist meditation teacher. And Wow. I know, right? He was such a great teacher to all of us. But he was very invested in our unit where I worked, um, really adopting this behavioral health model. So he actually asked for volunteers to go to a training with mindfulness-based stress reduction. And uh, a nurse who's a good friend of mine and myself volunteered. And they sent us, our job sent us to upstate New York to Omega Institute to do a week-long five-day training with John Cabot zinn who actually- Oh, 
Wow, right? the guru. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, so the was, of it all. <laughs> exactly. And that was when he really had very um, recently even developed the uh, MBSR program. So we were some of the first to learn about it. And then when we came back to our unit, we really integrated a lot of that stuff um, into where I was working. And we even did some little research studies about using um, things like Reiki and, and hands-on energetic therapies to decrease the anxiety of our clients before they ask for PR and meds. So really working at that job was a, a great foundation for supporting my interest in mind-body medicine. But then, as I said, I really did get invested in um, learning about it personally, which I think um, sort of makes sense that our own personal journey a lot of times parallels what we're doing in practice. So the more things I was learning about and using myself, the more I became just really invested in integrating it into how I do practice. And so now I, I just, I teach. I haven't been working clinically for the last two or three years, um, but I, I integrate a lot of the mind-body training with our OT students at Towson University. Well, that's become a big thing with AOTA, uh, professional wellness. So you're reflecting and supporting, you know, AOTA's desire to really work on OTs, you know, their own well-being, because there's a lot of burnout and the World Health Organization before the pandemic had said burnout was like one of the number one problems with health professionals. And I can't even imagine where we are now with that. Right. So that you're starting them in their, you know, college years so that they actually have a support base from which to pull from, because it seems like it's really had a positive impact on your personal life and your professional life. That's exactly right, Sabrina. So I'm wondering, we, we're, our focus is expectant mothers today. When you did your research with the expectant mothers, what was the uh, first thing clinic? Because that, that was a clinical environment. It was a hospital, mm -hmm. I believe, right? Could you tell us a little bit about your study and how you came up with using all these techniques with expectant mothers? Sure. So, because that's just been a really exciting um, opportunity that I just happened to fall into, I guess, in my professional life. So I was working. You are a lucky gal. I am. <laughs> I've been quite fortunate in many ways. So I was teaching at Towson. I've been there on the faculty for 25 years now. But at the same time, I was also still providing uh, clinical services on the weekends as a per diem OT on a psychiatric unit, partly because I love it and partly because it was providing me with fresh experiences to share with mm -hmm. students when I go back to school. So we, again, it was an inpatient psychiatric unit where I was working, but it was part of a large general hospital here in Baltimore. And we would routinely get referrals to see ladies on the antepartum unit and the ladies that were hospitalized on bed rest um, prior to delivery because of high-risk pregnancy. So we would, I'd come in on the weekends and I'd get my referrals for the inpatient unit. And then I would have these referrals to run up to the medical floors and to see and do a consult up there with the antepartum moms. Well, after many years of having just worked on psychiatric units, I thought this was very exciting to branch out and bring my mental health, behavioral health skills up to the medical floors, right? So we would go in and work with the ladies on bed rest who were often there for quite a long period of time. I know I had one lady hospitalized on bed rest, strict bed rest for 12 weeks. Mm. Oh my, yeah, that would definitely yeah. affect your mental health. I mean, oh my just, the, just being a high-risk pregnancy kind of creates a lot of anxiety, I would imagine. It does, it does. And so as I was working on the antepartum unit on the weekends, 
I just got interested in how we could support them better. So we were already doing some routine assessment of in, in, in bed, basically ADLs, how they were taking <laughs> their ADLs. And we were offering them some leisure occupations to spend their time and doing some stress management and coping strategies. And I started to think, well, what about integrating beyond some ADLs? <laughs> because they're here potentially for a long time. So I did a review of the literature and looked for evidence as I always do starting out. And I found that for high-risk pregnancy, there really is very little that's um, proven in the, in the medical field to prolong gestation. And you know, the first thing that they'll do if your pregnancy is designated high risk, they decrease your activity level and in extreme circumstances, they prescribe bed rest. But you know, bed rest can also end up with some side effects on its own in terms of deconditioning. And there's oh, just- Oh, and then, yes, and then also isolation. That's right, and your mental state. And there's not even really that much great support to suggest that it even really works. But the one thing that I found in the literature that was actually had strong efficacy for prolonging gestation was the use of mind-body stress management techniques. So I began experimenting with providing the ladies different kinds of relaxation interventions on the weekend practice. And it was going really well. And the, the ladies you know, looked forward to me coming in and I would um, provide them with stuff they could practice all week. And then I'd check back in next weekend and they just found it very helpful. So at the same time, I was teaching at Towson and I had a group of research students and I thought, well, what about trying to get IRB approval, which is not easy in the uh -huh. hospital. <laughs> and I'll bring my students with me and we'll do a research project on the antepartum unit, integrating relaxation training and some mind-body interventions. We were, again, fortunate to have our IRB approved and went through several rounds of recruiting and administering various mind-body interventions and getting data from the participants you know, pre and post, and then throughout their experience, each, each, every couple of days we checked in with them. And that was the basis for the article that uh, was published in OT practice about using those mind body interventions with the antepartum moms with really very good success. Wow. Well, uh, for our listeners, the link will be available on your show notes. And just briefly, uh, tell us about the three relaxation techniques that you used and kind of like what's you know, what's different about them and what's the physiological reason why you think they were so effective? Like, you know, what's different about each one of them or do they all, you know, deal with the same physiology? Great question. So in my review of the literature prior to crafting the interventions that we would use, what I found was that the one intervention that really seemed to have the strongest effectiveness with pregnant moms, high-risk pregnant moms, was actually guided imagery. So, and then there was also some evidence for progressive muscle relaxation and the use of music. So I thought one thing that we could offer is to provide different varieties of these interventions and then get from the women what their various experiences were with those techniques. So I used what I had learned from the research about the guided imagery and I created uh, my own guided imagery, imagery script for ladies who were pregnant with visualizations that specifically supported the stages that you go through during pregnancy. So I crafted the script and then I thought, you know, it would be, I know for me when I'm doing relaxation, nice music is very, also very powerful. 
increasing mm-hmm. the relaxation response. So I looked around for an, a good um, relaxation track that I could use behind the guided meditation that I created. And that's a little tricky because you have to get permissions. But my husband actually happened to be friends with a Grammy-nominated artist. Uh, I'm Mike- telling you, all, all these expected moms <laughs> and you, you are all very much, very lucky. <laughs> We're manifesting. We're manifesting. So I'm manifesting. Yes. Right. Michael Grant DeMaria is his name. And he's a very gracious man with some beautiful CDs um, with kind of that uh, new agey um, background music. Uh, again, he was nominated for a Grammy. Well, I contacted him personally and I said, would you give me permission to use some of your tracks as the background for my CD? So Towson helped me with their sound studio uh, record um, a CD program in the background is the music and then overlaid over that is a bit of breath work, some progressive muscle relaxation and some guided imagery specifically designed for antepartum moms included. So anyway, that was one of our interventions. But then we thought, well, what about providing just the music? Because perhaps it's the music itself that's creating the relaxation response for these ladies. Yeah, so tease out wanted, specifically kind of more exactly. precise. So, yeah. Exactly. Did the guided tracks contribute or was it more about the music? So in the second condition, we also gave the ladies a CD that was just the music. And then the third condition, my students who were working with me really wanted to include visual imagery. Now, this isn't even really something I had thought about, but they were very excited about also providing the ladies these beautiful visual images and seeing what a different sensory experience might do in terms of triggering that relaxation response. So the three conditions ended up being the um, guided uh, relaxation track over the music, the second condition was the music. And then the third condition was um, these lovely cards with visual images on them that were laminated and placed together in a set. So wow, gave, sort of like a little deck for them, a little visualization right. deck. Wow, that sounds so beautiful. The whole kit, the whole program sounds beautiful. It was pretty cool. And, you know, when in doubt, involve graduate students because they've got such great, uh, innovative, creative ideas and energy. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you work and collaborate with your students very closely. And I mean, that's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. And we allow the ladies actually then what the the protocol was, is we trained them using all three of those strategies. And then we left them on their own. And we said, we want you to do something each day, but you choose either use one or more of the strategies. And at the end of the day, we'll be asking you what you chose most often and why. And that's how the study design was established. And then we checked in with them every two or three days. We stopped back and uh, checked in with each lady, um, each participant, and asked her what she had been using and what her reaction was to it. So that was really the design of the study. Wow. Did you find some practices that were preferred over others that you were, were really remarkable, that really stood out to you? Or did they all three kind of just get spread or scattered across the participants? So what we found was the, the most frequently selected and most positively received intervention was the uh, guided imagery over the, the music track. So that combined um, CD was really their favorite. But we actually were really glad we had offered some options because then there were some participants who really just like just the music. And there were a couple but fewer who chose the imagery each day. So it I think it showed us that different people do respond to different practices differently. 
So what we took from that was that as occupational therapists, it's really on us to be trained in a variety of options that we can then be super client-centered. And yeah, give we're our... just totally OT. That's what we are. We're client-centered. Exactly. We give them a menu of options and then we can follow up by sharing with them the techniques that they find most effective. Wow. And so at the end of the study, um, the results said that they had physical and mental well-being as well mm -hmm. as their sleep improved. And mm -hmm. um, sleep is really difficult, period, for most people and especially now. But for expectant mothers with all the physiological changes as well, what do you think... Uh, physiologically was just happening with them that they got such positive results from all of this? Because it seems like such a small intervention with such huge repercussions. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so you're absolutely right. Sleep was such an issue for the ladies in our study. So if you picture the antepartum moms in their hospital beds on bed rest, sometimes they even had the type where you have your feet elevated, you know? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> right. So this whole idea of a rhythm of, of activity and rest is absent when you're on hospitalized bed rest. So they were sleeping throughout the day. So their whole sleep-wake cycle was very, very um, thrown off. And there really wasn't a lot of stimulation in the hospital room if you didn't have visitors and if you got tired of the three TV channels that they seemed to have. <laughs> You know, the, the participants were taught, telling us they're sleeping all day and then they were up at night. So to be honest with you, we actually also worked with them. This is not the only intervention that we provided. We also provided some coaching about ways to create a more uh, adaptive schedule throughout their day by helping them to identify different sort of markers through their day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you don't have, like your whole routine is entirely thrown off right now. So let's talk about a more adaptive routine that you can establish for yourself. Give yourself little tiny routines and habits throughout the day, things to look forward to and things to engage in so that then you'll have a better chance of sleeping at night. So I think that our added coaching um, helped as well because really a huge factor them, for them was really their well, schedule. Well, this is really delightful because one of the things I really admire about our profession is that, uh, as I said in my um, episode's descriptions, is that we literally are the original health coach. And all those environmental cues that we provide our clients to help them develop their habits and routines that support their everyday activities really play a huge role in their success of their occupational performance. So that's really wonderful that you included that. Did you and provide to, them uh, uh, coaching uh, after postpartum, like uh, to carry on with their um, relaxation? Boy, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, I'll tell you what we actually did about that, Sabrina. <laughs> good question. So when you provide services on the antepartum unit, the one thing is you never know when your client is going to actually go into labor and have a baby and move off that unit, right? Yeah. So, so we were sort of always um, prepared that each time we saw this client could be the last time we saw the client because they might go into labor and have the baby move on to the next stage. And we did not have um, permission to connect with them um, after they'd had their baby. Yeah, yeah, it was, of course. The baby was Right for the uh -huh. and plus they weren't interested necessarily at that point. Now they have a new baby, right? 
So each time we met with them, we left them with some practical strategies because we'd say, hey, you know, we're planning on seeing you in two days, but if that doesn't happen. So we left them lots of print resources from that the very beginning. That is so great. That is such a complete picture of what OTs do and what our strategy is and our approach with our clients is. I love mm-hmm. it. I love learning more the backstory of your study. It's so powerful in so many yeah. ways. Thank you. Now, you sure. made the technologies for all of this. Is there any way that um, you're going to ever develop a program to train other OTs who might be interested in this population? So that's a great point. Um, And I have been tracking what's been happening in the profession through looking at publications and AOTA presentations. Since we first did this study, there are more and more OTs who are actually really getting interested in working with them and to part of moms. So there's definitely more resources out there. I am including it as a potential model, again, as I'm teaching the students. Um, we, we teach them uh, a lot in our behavioral medicine semester of coursework, but one of the modules that we do talk to them about is here's one example. It's almost a case study mm-hmm. of a where you could um, make this happen. I've also provided some education in different ways to the profession. For example, I was invited to a wellness coaching Institute in Belgium a couple years ago. Oh, wow. And I can't imagine a better representative. I'm so happy for, for them. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It was a really fun trip. And they were just interested in what we're doing here in the States in terms of like health coaching and wellness coaching and how that might fit with OT. So I talked about these strategies at that conference. Um, a year ago, I provided a webinar to the Canadian Occupational Therapy Association about the use of mind-body strategies specifically for um, chronic pain in order to address the opioid crisis. And then I've provided various AOTA presentations and posters over the years. So continuing to try to spread the word, this particular research line unfortunately did have to stop. And a couple years ago, there were some administrative changes in the hospital that I was working and all IRBs were suspended, including mine. Um, When the IRBs were uh, revisited a year or two later, at that point, the antepartum unit where I had worked really reorganized and the um, census was not sufficient for our services. So that line of research has ceased, but I continue to look for opportunities to encourage others to to use um, mind-body techniques with this population and other populations too. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so wonderful. I'm really excited that you're spreading the word because we need more and more and more support for that because the statistics of high risk pregnancies are just really dismal in our country. And so the fact that there's actually things to do and what I like about your study is that it's not a dry research study. It actually reads well because you include a lot of phenomenological aspects in your research, which I think is very powerful because you get the opinion of the actual participants. Do you purposely make an effort to include in all of your studies a lot of qualitative aspects to your research? Because I think it's one of the most wonderful part of all the research I've read of yours. Oh, thank you so much. Um, So I am primarily a qualitative researcher and I'm often integrating as you're talking about phenomenology where the essence of what we're looking for is the experience of the participant of these various modalities and interventions that we provide. So yes, I'm all about qualitative methods these days. Yay. Okay. Now 
we're getting to the end of our show, and I thought it would be super if you could maybe um, give us some resources and or just, um, you know, you already gave us all your lectures and all that material, but is there like a, a particular book or anything that you found like for therapists themselves who want to go off and learn a little bit more about scripts and things like that that you would recommend? Sure. And so the there's one book that I have used so many times over the years. It's actually the first uh, book, that handbook that we had in that very first job when I was handed <laughs> relaxation group, right? It's called the Relaxation and Stress Reduction Workbook. And I'm so sorry, Sabrina, I did not look up the author for you, but it's been around through various editions, the Relaxation and Stress Reduction well, Workbook. Well, there you have it. I'm going to go yep, get that's it right now. A, there are many scripts in there. And then I so appreciate that you emailed me and told me that, yes, you are able to lead us through a short uh, relaxation. So listeners, if you're driving and can't listen to it now with your eyes closed, go ahead and come back later. The rest of us, I guess we're going to enjoy. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, thanks, Sabrina. So the, there's two very brief practices that I'd like to share with you today, and they both involve the idea of mindfulness. And so if you haven't heard of it, mindfulness is um, the quality of bringing attention and moment by moment awareness to what you're thinking, feeling and experiencing in the moment without any judgment and with loving acceptance of what is. So these two practices of mindfulness can be very, very brief and easy to incorporate no matter where you are in your personal life or into your practice. And you could even use one of these mini practices if you're working in a physical disability setting and you just want your client to settle into the moment and be focused and engaged with you before you start your intervention. So the first is called the three-part breath and the second is called the sacred pause. So let's try them together now. Thank you. So again, if you're not driving, sit comfortably and close your eyes if it feels comfortable to do so, and begin turning your attention inward. Place your right hand on your abdomen and take a slow, deep breath into your belly. Feel it inflate as you inhale and deflate as you exhale. Now, place your left hand on your rib cage Feel your ribs expand with the inhale and retract with the exhale. Moving your right hand to your chest, now fill the abdomen, ribs, and the chest with the inhale, then reversing it as the air leaves the chest, ribs, and abdomen on the exhale. Practice three breaths. And now return to breathing normally, but leave your eyes closed if you're comfortable doing so. And take a moment to settle more deeply into the present being here with complete attention and curiosity, noticing your capacity to be fully in this moment. Tune your awareness into what you are feeling physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And now check in with the heart. What emotions arise for you? 
without judgment, pause and be with what is present here. Notice yourself as the mindful observer of this experience. There's no need to change anything. Allow the heart's wisdom to guide you in connecting to what really matters now. And finally, with intention and compassion, observe this sacred space you have found through the art of pausing and practicing mindfulness. May this awareness and acceptance flow with you today in each unfolding moment. And when you're ready, you may gradually open your eyes, bring your awareness back to the room around you. And thank you for allowing me to share this sacred practice with you today. Thank you, Dr. Yeager. It was really, truly lovely. And it really shows that just a couple of minutes can really make a difference. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know or we'll till next episode? <laughs> Um, not at all, Sabrina. Just let me encourage everyone to, again, reach out. There are many, many resources um, available to you through the Internet of mind-body practices that I fully encourage you to include into your own plan for well-being and then provide that foundation for sharing them with your clients as well. So thank you. Thank you. for listening today of Sound Health will post new episodes every Monday. Start your week by exploring and experiencing new and beautiful approaches to enhance your everyday well-being. To continue the conversation, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player or app. Until next week. Mm-hmm.